This talk was given at New Dawn in the Church 2023 by John Hesketh. He is a Catholic lay evangelist and is speaking to us about our relationship with Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we ask you now to speak to our hearts, our minds, our souls and open us to receive as much of you as we can possibly handle. We ask you to remove any obstacles that are in our way, to remove any distractions from our mind. Lord, we ask for your peace. You are the Prince of Peace. We ask you to still our minds right now and that we take in whatever it is you have brought us here to know, to hear, whatever changes you want to make in our lives, in our hearts, we ask that you make them. We give you full permission, full control. We want to be overwhelmed with your love. Mary, our mother, you are always drawing us to your son. And we want your son in our lives. And we know that your son wants us for himself. So Mary, we ask that you bridge the gap. We ask that you place your hands over each one of us right now and pray for all the graces that God wants to give us and that we need in order to make our lives holy. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I close my eyes, there's not many people. I open my eyes, there's a lot more. Maybe I should close my eyes again. Right, perfect. So this talk is on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, why do I care about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Why should you care about having a relationship with Jesus Christ? The reason I care is because there's nothing more important in this life than having a relationship with him, an authentic, real, genuine relationship from my heart to his. There's nothing more important. And I'm going to share my own experience and why my relationship with him matters more to me than anything else in this world and why I believe it matters to you. Because I don't know you. Some of you have never met before, and yet I care you have this relationship. Why? Because I care about the salvation of your soul. Salvation of your soul and relationship with Jesus are one and the same. They are one and the same. 
The other night, Marino gave a talk on reconciliation and different people got different things out of that talk. Many people loved how direct he is and how he says things that nobody else says. What I got from it is that he genuinely cares about the salvation of my soul. And you could hear it in every word. And I think that's why we are here at New Dawn, because we listen to speakers and priests who we know genuinely care about the salvation of our souls, and we feel it. Sometimes we go to Mass, we hear a homily, we don't feel like the priest who's speaking genuinely cares about the salvation of my soul. Sometimes it just feels like a tick in the box, another homily, another day. I spoke to a couple of priests, and I said to them, before I was a Catholic, I was a Protestant for a couple of years. And in every sermon, they always spoke about the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But in 25 years of being a Catholic, I've never heard one homily on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why is that? And both priests said they agreed. They said it's because we mistakenly assume the people who come to Mass have a relationship with Jesus. But we all know you can go to Mass every single week for 60 years and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have a relationship with the priests. You can have a relationship with the people. Doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus. And for me, this is so central because Jesus himself when he came into this world, had many different relationships. The Trinity itself is a relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus had a relationship with his own mother. That's why he calls us to have a relationship with his mother. That's why we have a relationship with Mary. Jesus had a relationship with his disciples. He had a relationship with his apostles. Different kinds of relationships but he all called us to have a relationship with him. Remember, he said to his apostles, I call you servants no more because a servant does not know his father's, his master's business, but I call you my friends because I have made known to you everything that I have received from my father. And that's the same with us. We have received everything about the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. And we call that divine revelation. And it comes to us through the Gospels and through the church and through these teachings, through these sermons. It's important for parents to care about the salvation of their children's souls. It's important for children to care about the salvation of their parents' souls and husband and wife. But again, that means talking about relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship with Jesus means a relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit because we're told by Jesus himself, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. And we know we are drawn to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a secluded relationship just with the Son. So even though I'm saying the Son, even though I'm saying Jesus, I also mean the Father and the Holy Spirit. And it's important 
to talk to your children about a relationship with Jesus and not assume just because your son goes to Mass, your daughter goes to Mass, your children go to a private Catholic school, don't assume they have a relationship. They could be just ticking the boxes like many adults do by going to Mass because it's what their families did for so many years. So now they do it out of a kind of tradition. Relationship is 24-7. Relationship with God is something lived. Relationship involves three things. It involves talking, which I know plenty of people here are good at. It involves listening, which I know some people really struggle with. They talk to God all the time, but they never listen. They don't know how to listen. They don't give space to listen. But not just talking, not just listening, but also doing. Because St. James tells us that a person who hears the word of God and doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks in the mirror and after walking away immediately forgets what he looks like. So relationship is talking, listening, doing. A relationship is not one way. It's not where you go to God every time you need something, every time you're struggling. It's not where you bargain with God. I'll give my life to you if you heal my daughter, if you heal my husband, if you make me wealthy, like the man in a boat who was a treasure hunter and he found loads of treasure and put them in his boat and then a storm came and he cried out to God, I believe, I'll believe if you stop this storm, I'll believe, I'll believe. The storm got worse and he cried out, please stop the storm, I'll throw everything away, I'll give it all up. The storm carried on. So he took all the treasures and threw them off and then there was a calm. 10 seconds later, he's over the side looking for his treasures. Because we do that when people, we cry out to God to help, he helps. And then we go back to ignoring God. Go back to not believing or not living the life he has called us to live. So relationship involves talking, which is communication. Communication, talking, listening, doing. Like every relationship. It's a relationship that involves sacrifice, like every marriage. Again, it's not one way. It's a relationship that involves time. Again, like any relationship, if you're too busy for each other, all you're gonna do is fight. You're not gonna understand each other. So it's, an, it's a relationship that involves time, which we, in the church, call moments of adoration. The gift of adoration or Christian meditation. Christian meditation is where you just spend time listening to God with Christ. Worldly meditation is where you empty your mind, allow anything in, and Jesus has got nothing to do with it. We are opposed to that. Christian meditation is where you center yourself on Christ. And there's nothing more beautiful than spending time listening to God and allowing him to take control of your thoughts, your heart, your peace. There's nothing more important. 
Why should you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I've told you why I care about your relationship with Jesus, because I care about your soul. Why do I care about your soul? Because the love of God is so strong in me that it's really him caring about your soul in me. See, if I just loved you with a human love, then I wouldn't care about your soul. I might care about your health. I might care about how sad you are. I might care about you need to be more happy or healthy. But that's a human limited love. The divine love cares about the salvation of your soul. The divine love sees into your eyes. And Jesus is the one who converts the heart. Why should I care about your salvation? Why should I care about your conversion? Because I know what it's like to be overwhelmed with the love of God. And I want you to experience that. You know what that's like, don't you? Some of you have had that overwhelming experience of God's love. And you want other people to have it. And that's why we love coming to New Dawn, because we meet people who also have experienced God's love. We meet people who are hungry for God's love. A person who's never had an experience of God's love is a person who's not going to change. We have to be open to that experience. We have to want that experience. And there's only one way to get that experience, and that's to ask God for it. Believe me, he wants you to experience his love more than you want to experience his love, no matter how much you want it. He wants more. No matter how much you cared about the salvation of the soul of your children, your husband, your wife, he wants it more. The difference is he doesn't force it. Sometimes we do, and that's a mistake we make. Because we're not letting go and trusting in God. You can do the best you can for your husband, your children, your wife, your families as far as prayer and communication. But at some point, you have to step back, trust in God, and let go. And know that he will transform them when the time is right. He will do it at the most perfect time. You might force them away from God because what you want them to experience is the experience that you've had, but you can't give them an experience that you've had. They have to experience God's love their way. And the only one who knows how they can experience God's love is God himself because he knows their capacity. He knows their heart and mind. He knows their soul. He knows the right time. And he knows their fragility. You see, God might reveal himself to you in a more powerful way than he, he appears to somebody else. Because you're stronger, you're more experienced, you've been on a, a longer journey, maybe you're open more, but that other person might not be able to receive the abundance that you've received and it might be too much. God knows that. So he might give a little bit, which is what he did for me my whole life. It increased as my relationship with him grew, my experience of his love grew, and my trust in him grew to the point now where I don't know if it's possible for me to trust him more. 
I don't know if it's possible for me to love him more, but I know it is. I want him as much as I can possibly handle. And he knows that. And he also knows how to give me more of himself. Unfortunately, he usually evolves a lot of suffering because that's usually the way God breaks us down in order to build us back up again. What good is it if a person is healed if they're suffering, if they turn away from God? Sometimes that suffering is there to bring them to God. With my brother's mental illness all these years and his gambling addictions and my dad's atheism, it was horrible, especially the mockery of my faith, something I found sacred. And yet it was the struggles I had with all of that that put me on my knees. It was the struggles I had with that that took me to church. And now I thank God for it. 25 years of living in that. And yet it was the best thing I could have done because it brought me so much closer to God because I didn't grow up knowing anything about Jesus Christ. He was a stranger to me. The 16 years of my life, nobody taught me anything. He was a stranger to me, but guess what? I was not a stranger to him because he knew me since the moment of conception. He knitted me together in my mother's womb. Before I was formed, he knew me. He created me. He knew me inside out. He knew exactly the moment when I would reach out to him, asking him into my, into my life. And the timing was perfect. And so for 16 years of my life, he was a stranger. And that's important to know because the relationship that you have began somewhere if you have a relationship. I'm not going to make the mistake of assuming you all have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a mistake to make. For 16 years, he was a stranger to me. I didn't know anything about him. Until one day, I went into a church, the Church of England, because I was baptized Church of England, and I went to a youth group, and they started to talk to, talk to me about Jesus. I'd never heard about him before, so I got to know him. And I got to read about him in the Bible. And I would say, really, that is when the relationship started to begin. And as I'm getting to know him, my relationship goes from being a, him being a stranger to me to him being an acquaintance. An acquaintance is someone you don't really know that well. You know them, you recognize them, you've seen them before. You might give them a little wave. You might smile. I'm sure there's plenty of acquaintances here at New Dawn. You only see them once a year. It's like a reunion. You might see them if you go to the shops. You recognize them from mass or from down the street. But you don't know them well enough to bring them home or to ask them if you want to go get something to eat or a drink. You don't know them that well. So they're an acquaintance. And that's the way it was for me with Jesus. I was just getting to know him. So he was a, he was a kind of an acquaintance. He was, there was an awareness of him. And then, as I got to know him and listen to the speakers, I said to myself, if God exists, then he really exists. If he exists, he's eternal, he's infinite, he's all-powerful, he's the creator of the universe, he's the creator of everything. If he exists, he really exists. And not just as a thought, 
not as a theory, not as something abstract out there. If he exists, then he really exists. And that means I should give him everything. But if he doesn't exist, then he gets nothing. So he either exists or he doesn't exist. There's no middle ground. You can't have one foot in the non-existence because it suits you and life's more convenient. You can do what you want. And another foot in there, well, I'll believe in God just in case. I'll cover my bases in case I die. I want to make sure I'm in. But in this life, I want to enjoy myself a little bit. That's called a double life. And so for me, he either existed or he didn't. And if he exists, he gets it all 100%. But if he doesn't exist, he gets zero. And this is the thought process that I was going through when I was thinking of Jesus as an acquaintance and I was reading about him and listening to him. And then I decided I'm going to ask him to come into my life and change it because if he really exists, he can do that. So I went to bed and I said, Lord, if you really do exist, I want you in my life and I want you to take me to yourself and I want you to change it for the better because I cannot get to you. That was the beginning of the relationship because I gave him full control. I didn't give him 50% control. I didn't give him 90% control. I gave him 100% control 27 years ago. And ever since then, I have always done the same thing. You see, it's important to take this relationship seriously. If I ask you, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ, what would you say? I'm not asking anyone to put their hands up. I want you to think about it. What would you say? Tell me about your relationship with your husband or your wife or your children. Tell me about your relationship with God. It's important to know where we stand right now in our relationship and to be aware that we actually have a relationship. And it's the most important relationship you will have in your entire life. Because when you have that relationship and you know the love of God, he becomes number one, top priority. And that's what you want then for your husband, for your wife, for your children, for your family, for everybody. Once you've had that experience, you want it for strangers, people that you've never met before. You, you want them to experience the love of God. Why? Because the love of God in you cares about the salvation of every single soul. Marino doesn't know everybody he talks to, and yet when you hear him speak, you know he takes seriously the salvation of every single soul. That's why he speaks so directly about the dangers of messing around with your faith. Take it seriously, but you cannot hide behind family members. You cannot use them as a distraction from your faith, pushing them to God because you think God is going to be really happy with you and you're more likely to get into heaven because that can then become you hiding from God yourself. When you go to meet God, you can't stand behind anyone and said, well, I didn't have a faith because of them. I was pushing them all the way. So my faith never grew because look at them. You have to take your faith seriously, but you have to trust that God will also 
Look after the ones you love. For 27 years, I was praying for my dad, who, like I say, mocked me for my faith, was against my faith, didn't care about the church, didn't care about anything. But then he was told just last year that he had nine weeks left to live because he didn't want to do dialysis anymore. And I tell you what, it was like 27 years of prayer being stored like water that evaporated into a cloud and the cloud is full and moves. And when the right time comes, it just releases. That's what 27 years of prayer for my dad was like. In that moment, he was ready. God opened the floodgates and they came down on him and he was a holy man when he died. To my shock, 27 years of prayer, I never forced him. Well, I did in the beginning. <laughs> and I very quickly realized I was forcing him away from God. I was doing the opposite to what I wanted. And in the end, I had no choice but to just let go and say, over to you, Lord. And he said, finally, you're getting in the way. You're trying too hard. Trust. Trust in Jesus and he'll do the rest. The relationship you have with Jesus is the best relationship you will ever have because nobody will ever love you as much in your life as he will. Nobody. doesn't matter who they are. His love is perfect. His love is healing. His love does not come with a hidden agenda like most people's love comes with a hidden agenda. His love does not come with a hidden agenda. His love is perfect. His love is for you. His love is just right for you. He loves you more than you could ever love yourself and more than anybody else in this world could ever love you. You want to know how much he loves you? Look at a cross. Look at the crucifix. That's how serious he is about your soul. That's how serious he is about my soul. And so here I am saying to God that as a young boy, if you really exist, I'm all in. And if you don't exist, I'm having nothing to do with you. And so my relationship then goes from stranger to acquaintance. And he starts to work on me. He works on me by bringing the right people into my life. He works on my prayer life. I feel drawn to pray more. And I realize very quickly at that age that my prayers are not scheduled. They're not, I'll pray at two o'clock in the afternoon or seven o'clock in the afternoon. All right, I learned very quickly my prayers are not dependent on if I'm having a good day or a bad day. My prayers are not dependent on somebody's suffering or I'm suffering. If he exists, he exists all the time which means I'm going to pray to him all the time. So I knew he heard my thoughts. He hears every single thought in my head. So I said, Lord, I'm giving all my thoughts to you. Every thought I have, I'm giving it to you. I'm aware that he's listening to every thought, even though I'm not consciously, Lord Jesus Christ, I love the grass. Lord Jesus Christ, I love the sky. I'm having a hard day. Sometimes, you know, you just think naturally, don't you? You don't always consciously, but I'm aware that he's listening to every thought I have. I love what a friend of mine said. She said, a really holy nun, Sister Seraphim, 
She said, you are not the thoughts. You are not defined by the thoughts you have. You are defined by the thoughts you consent to. That's very different because sometimes sinful thoughts pop in our head and then we feel guilty. But I don't consent to those thoughts, though they're not my thoughts. I just say, see you later. So we are the thoughts that we consent to. So any thought that's good and holy, I say, thank God for. And so I'm aware all the time that Jesus is listening to every thought so that my whole life becomes a prayer. And I'm sharing this with you with the hope that you will start to do the same thing. I'm sharing this with you with the hope that you will start to reflect on your relationship with Jesus every day, where you're at, where you should be. Is your relationship where he wants it to be? Or have you become comfortable where it is, just living every day without wanting to grow, without wanting to change, without wanting to grow in your relationship and be as close to him as possible? Because if that's you, if you've become comfortable, there's a word for that. The Revelation tells, book of Revelation tells us what that word is. Lukewarm. And we are told in the book of Revelation what God will do to the lukewarm. He will vomit them out of his mouth. You are neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. So you will be vomited out of his mouth. Because he doesn't want lukewarm. He wants on fire. He wants hot. He wants transformation. He wants change. In a word, he wants you to take him seriously. I'm not talking about being fanatical. He doesn't want you to be fanatical. He just wants you to take him seriously. The God who created you wants you to take him seriously. He wants you to take his son seriously because Jesus on the cross, that's where you see him taking you seriously the most, isn't it? When I look at a crucifix, I know Jesus is taking me seriously. He's taking my soul seriously. Then I'm questioned, am I taking him seriously? And so I go from stranger to acquaintance to friend. And then my friendship starts to build even more as I get to know him. And I start listening to praise and worship music. And then my heart and my soul and my mind are taken into God as I'm praising God, as I'm learning more about God, as I'm meeting other people who care about God. And this is so important, what I'm about to say now. This is so, so important. Surround yourself with people who care about the salvation of your soul. Make sure your children are surrounded by the right people, by good, holy people. Make sure you are surrounded by people who care about your salvation because those people love you. They love you with God's love, not a human love. It's good to have friends with everybody, isn't it? It's good to have friends who care about your general well-being. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to have friends who are there for you and do anything for you. But there's nothing better than having friends who can pray with you. There's nothing better than having friends who support you when you're struggling in your faith. Nothing better than having friends who say to you, 
I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. Nothing better than having that. You want to meet friends like that? This is the ideal week. This is the best way to do it. There's nothing better than surrounding yourself with people who care about the salvation of your soul. Especially families with children, because then your children mix with their children, and you know those children with parents like that are going to be good children. Children who are going to grow up together in the faith. But again, it's important to teach your children about the relationship side of our faith. Teach them to do the three things I said at the beginning. Learn to talk to God in your mind and also out loud and with other people. That builds up the relationship. Communication. Learn to listen. I would say listen to God more than you talk to him. Clear your mind. One of the ways I recently realized why I I wasn't experiencing God in my mind, I couldn't hear him, I wasn't inspired, was because my mind was filled with trash, distraction, watching too much. And my mind was not, there was no space. And I needed space. I knew I needed space to listen to God's voice. So I decided I'm just going to write down everything that's in my head, not going to worry about the grammar, not going to care what it is. I'm just going to write and write and write and write. And I did that. And page after page after page, so much easier. Listening to God was very easy. Some people can't listen to God because their heads are full and they don't know how. You need space. You need quiet. You need silence. When you get that silence, it's easier to listen to God and to be inspired by him. And so as a youth, I went from stranger to acquaintance to friend. And as I'm being fed and surrounding myself of all these people, I ended up walking into a Catholic church and meeting a priest who obviously had experienced the love of God because he was full of joy and love. And he, it was obvious, he believed every word he said. And I was convicted, convinced I wanted to be there. I knew my relationship was not where his relationship was. It's always good to look at other people's relationships who have been in the faith a long time because they're role models for where we would like to be, aren't they? And that's what it was like for me with this priest. I wanted what he had. I wanted the closeness and the intimacy that he had with Jesus. And so I was asking him questions and I was listening to him. And eventually he convinced me to become a Catholic. And after becoming a Catholic, that's when my relationship really shifted. It went to a whole new level of intimacy because of the Eucharist. Once you have Jesus in you in a whole new way and you know it and you don't take it for granted, then everything changes. Like I say, you go to a whole new level, a level you never knew existed. And then I became a Catholic and I wondered why nobody seems to have a relationship with Jesus in the church. Going to mass and all of a sudden it's like, do you know what you've got? You got the Eucharist. Do you realize this is the real presence of Christ? You have to come 
on retreat to find people like that. And I didn't see it in parishes. And it shocked me. It shocked me that there was no joy. Where's the joy of the Eucharist in people's lives? Where's the intimacy with God that I was experiencing? And I tell you what, I was extremely lonely. Not with God, but with people. Because you all need friendship. It's human. We are created to be part of a community, to have friends that we can walk with and talk to and share with. And it was hard to be in a church when nobody I could connect with at my age. Everybody seemed to be over 70, but nobody was my age. And it was a lonely experience to go to church. But you know what? God always brings good out of bad because he took me to the point where I didn't care anymore. I was going to church for one reason, for him. I wasn't going there to meet people. You see, going to the Protestant church, it becomes a social occasion. You go there to meet other people. And again, it's a good thing meeting other people. So I'm not saying anything negative about the Protestant church. All I'm saying is my relationship went to a whole new level in the Catholic church because now it was just about me and Jesus. That's all I cared about, the Eucharist. And as time developed, my relationship developed even more. And it went from stranger, acquaintance, friend, to best friend. Best friend slash brother. Because what we are receiving in the Eucharist is the blood of Christ. When you receive him, you're his family because now you share the same blood. We all become a family because now we all share the same blood of Christ. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. I feel the need right now to say a prayer, so I will before I carry on. Join with me and just repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I want you in my life. 100%. I give myself to you completely. Give me the relationship you want me to have. Let today be the beginning of things to come. Mary, I know you want this. You are constantly drawing me into a relationship with your son. Help me. Pray for me. Help me to take this seriously. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the, the reason why I'm using these terms is just to give you an understanding of my development when I say acquaintance and stranger. Obviously, these are not fixed terms. The relationship we have with Jesus is, is, takes a lifetime, and sometimes we're not even aware of it as it happens, but I was aware of it. And looking back, I can see the development and it's important to, for you to know, where are you? Is Jesus just an acquaintance? Is he just somebody that you say hello to every now and then? 
when you need something? Is he not even that? Is he a stranger to you? Do you know him? Remember what Jesus said? On that day, many will come to me saying, did we not prophesy in your name? Do miraculous deeds in your name? Work miracles in your name? And very truly, I tell you, I do not know you. You can do and do and do. You can speak with the gift of tongues. You can perform prophecies and not have a relationship with Jesus. You can work miracles and Jesus doesn't know you. This relationship is everything. It's a relationship of heart, mind, and soul. It's a relationship that allows God to take full control of our day. When we wake up, we say over to you, Lord, I give this day to you. And see what happens. You'd be surprised. You'll realize you're in the perfect place at the perfect time. Even if things don't appear that way. Yesterday, Marino gave a talk to the youth. And when he was giving a talk to the youth, he told them, he told them a lot. As you know, he says a lot. And he told them that God has a plan. And of course, you have to be faithful in order to be in this plan. And it's a perfect plan. And God's plan is always plan A. It's never plan B. It's always plan A. For example, Mary going to the inn because she's pregnant and them, and the innkeeper saying we have no room. And so they end up in a stable. Now, do you think the stable was plan B? It wasn't. The stable was plan A. How do I know? Read the book of Isaiah. It's foretold that would happen. That's plan A. So whenever you don't get what you want, don't worry. That's not God's plan A. As long as you're faithful to God, whatever happens, that's plan A. Of course, the devil also has his plan. He has plan A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. His plan A is to destroy your soul, but God won't let him if you're faithful. So his plan A is failed straight away. So he comes up with plan B. And so what do you do? You cry out to God, help, and God helps. So plan B failed. And then he comes at you with plan C, whatever that is. It might be tiredness. It might be distraction. It might be bad influences. It might be a whole concoction of things. So what do you do? You turn to Mary and the angels and St. Michael, and they help you. But you may be still struggling, so he comes at you and at you and at you. And then eventually between plan A and plan Z, we fall. We all do. That's why we have confession. So we start all over again. You see this, don't you, with Jesus in the desert being tempted by the devil. The devil comes out with him, at him with plan A, B, and C. But God's plan is always perfect. You see, when the devil crucified had Christ, he thought his plan A had worked. He didn't realize that was God's plan A all along. As long as we take Jesus seriously. We have to take our relationship more seriously than anything else in this world. 
because one day we will see him. You see, there are two things when I was young and, and coming to know God that I asked my, that I said to myself, the first I've already told you, if God exists, he really exists and I'm all in. If he doesn't exist, I'm having nothing to do with him. And so through a lot of prayer and research, I went all in. But another question I asked myself, because people were asking me, and it's a very important question. If you were to die right now, what would happen to you? That was a very important question. It sobered me up. It made me realize, you know what? I could die right now. It doesn't matter that I'm young. Who am I to think I'm gonna live another 60, 70 years? That's presumption. I don't know how long I'm gonna live. You know, the Desert Fathers, they have a remedy for spiritual depression. They call it acedia. And acedia has many different pieces of advice in order to get us out of this spiritual depression. And one of those things is actually to contemplate death. Think about your own death, not in a morbid way, but in a sobering way. Every time I go visit my mom and dad in a grave, I always come away sober. I always come away awake because I look at the graves and I know one day that is going to be me so it's always good to ask yourself where are you now in this relationship with Jesus and do you need to go to confession and if you're in doubt go go the most important thing we can do is ask God for his forgiveness and take sin seriously and ask God to pull those temptations and sins right out of us. Am I where God wants me to be in my relationship with him? Are you? How do you know? Have you asked him? Have you asked him, Jesus, am I where you want me to be in your relation, in this relationship with you? If not, put me there. Take me there. The ultimate relationship he wants with us, it's not acquaintance. It's not even friend. It's more than that. It's not even best friend. It's more than that. It's more than brother or father. It's more than that. You know what it is? Spouse. He wants to be your spouse. That's why the church is called the bride of Christ and Jesus is the groom. He wants 100% union with you. 100% intimacy with you. And this is nothing new. God has always wanted this. We see this from the beginning of the Bible right to the end. God constantly describing himself as a husband, constantly drawing people into himself. In the book of Isaiah, we hear in Isaiah 54, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of the earth. And the first time God and his people became one, was after Mount Sinai. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. It was a marriage. 
when Moses sacrificed an ox, put the blood of the ox in two basins, threw one basin on the altar and the other on the people, telling them that you are now in a covenant with God. He said, this is the blood of the covenant. And then very quickly, his people fell away. When you fall away from God in your marriage, it's called idolatry. When you fall away from God in a natural marriage, it's called adultery. And God was constantly telling his people, come back to me, sending his prophets, come back into this marriage with me. A specific prophet was Hosea. He he told Hosea, I want you to marry Gomar, the prostitute, because Israel has prostituted themselves against me. He wanted to show Israel what they were doing. But then he promises the day will come when they will be one with him forever in this mystical marriage. And that comes with Jesus. And so Jesus comes and he came to unite us back to him in this mystical marriage. And we read in the Gospels, we read about the bride, the groom. We also read about the best man. We also read about the bridal chamber. The best man was John the Baptist because John the Baptist explained how, and I'll read it here, that John the Baptist explained in chapter 3, verse 28, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I, I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend, him, who attends the bridegroom's, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become stronger. So John the Baptist was the bridegroom and the job of the bridegroom was to bring the bride and the groom together. And that's what he did. And of course, the marriage between Jesus and the church was consummated on the cross. The marriage feast was the Last Supper. The Last Supper was, yes, a Passover meal, but it was also a marriage feast. And in every Passover meal, you have four cups, and one of them is the cup of consummation. It consummates the feast. It consummates the union of God with his people. And so Jesus never drank that cup at the end of the Last Supper. Instead, he drank it on the cross because the cross and the Last Supper then become one event. They are united. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, Father, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but yours be done. And on the cross, when the wine and the vinegar is given to Jesus, that's when he receives the fourth cup, the wine, and he cries out to God, it is consummated. And then we read, he dies. And what happens after he dies? Look at what happened to Adam. He was created and God said, it is not suitable for man to be alone. So he looked for a wife, his bride, and he found nothing suitable in all the animals. So he puts Adam into a deep sleep 
And out of his side comes his bride. And here Jesus on the cross, the second Adam dies. And then with a spear thrust into his side comes the bride of Christ, the church, blood, the Eucharist and water, baptism, our mystical marriage with Jesus. The marriage with God in the Old Testament, Moses said, this is the blood of covenant. And here we have Jesus in the mass under the, with the priest saying, this is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. So in the mass, we have a marriage feast. We have the consummation of our wedding vows every time we receive and say amen. See the relationship Jesus wants with us. More than an acquaintance, more than a friend, more than a best friend, more than a brother. Full-blown marital intimacy. That's where he wants us. Now, some of us are not quite there. We don't have that mystical union with Jesus. Some of us might be at the stage of friend, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's where you are, that's where you are. And he knows how to change that because he does it in your time. He knows your vulnerability, your limitations. But that's where we end up, in heaven for all eternity. The mystics in this life had that mystical marriage with Jesus. That's the aim of this life, actually. Mystical marriage with Jesus, mystical union, which can only happen through the mystery of the mass. Amen. Amen. I'm done. Thank you very much. So that was the broadcast live from the New Dawn Festival, and we're hearing about developing a personal relationship with Christ. You've been listening to a podcast from Radio Maria. If you enjoy these programs, please consider becoming one of our monthly donors. All you need to do is visit www.radiomariaengland.uk and click on the Support Us tab for various options. We rely entirely on donations, so thank you to all our listeners for their generous support.